So hello everyone and uh, welcome to particular. Um, hello Julia. How was your hello. week? Hello. Hello. The week was uh, good. Busy. Very. Those are very general terms. But the highlight of my week was going to car boot sale <laughs> on Sunday. Um, that was uh, a full-on experience, and I was trying to get rid of um, kids' stuff. Oh, didn't didn't earn much. It was. Just, <laughs> I made thirty pounds after deducting the uh, the the parking spot that I've paid for. <laughs> um, yeah, so earned thirty pounds on Sunday. Uh, it was incredible, you know, being on your feet all day and talking to people, trading, arranging your stuff, packing, unpacking, packing again. Anyway. It's not very creative, but it definitely helped me clear my mind and sort of, yeah, complete change of scenery. Um, so I feel refreshed. Yeah, about uh, you? I, I, I can, I can relate. So I've been packing as well. <laughs> so I'm moving. Whatever for. Uh, so yeah, I'm moving uh, with my girlfriend. So and my best friend as well. So we're gonna live in this uh, big gay apartment. <laughs> <laughs> as i would say in north london uh but yeah um talking about creativity uh you mentioned like you feeling kind of creative because of that so it does relate to our um guest that's going to be on uh in a moment uh we're going to talk about um carving out space for creativity outside of your work and um as for me, I can relate to that. So this podcast is a way of carving out space for creativity outside of work. So Julia, uh, can you introduce our guest? Yes, sure. Thank you. Our guest is uh, Diana Constantini. Uh, she is the head of creative. She's creative director of Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Um, so she heads the creative department that's... Um, produces all the creative assets for brand uh, within the network, the television network, ABC in Australia. Uh, and on top of that, uh, she's an artist and uh, she creates artworks, ceramics and other stuff that she'll tell us more about. So we are chatting with her today about being in a corporate role you know, being an executive, a manager, and still staying creative and doing things with your hands. Um, uh, and how does that make her feel? And how does she cope with all of that? So yeah, uh, without further ado, uh, here is the episode with Diana Constantini. Diana, hello, and uh, welcome to our podcast. It's really nice to see you. Um, yeah, uh, what time is it in Sydney and how was your day? It's five o'clock in the afternoon and the day was long but good. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. And yeah, uh, we we just wanted to start our episode by asking, like, asking you to tell about yourself. Uh, how would you tell about yourself? Like, what do you do? Uh, what did your path look like to where you are now? 
Um, yeah, maybe we can start from there. My name is Diana Costantini. I run ABC Made, which is the in-house creative team at the ABC, the Australian Public Broadcaster. Um, the team are based all around the country and uh, there's a fairly big sort of multidisciplined team of people. So we have um, radio and um, TV producers. We have um, lots of designers that sort of cover print design, digital design, motion design. Uh, we have producers, traffic people. So it's a real kind of mixed discipline of creatives. And as I said, we're all around the country. Um, we take briefs from everybody across the ABC. So, um, you know, we could be doing lots of different work on any one day. We could be, you know, designing for promos, creating promos, um, doing voiceovers, um, doing motion design, um, you know, shooting for uh, key art for a new show, developing logos, all sorts of things, basically. So it's a really diverse um, amount of work that comes through the team, which is exciting. So what I've seen from your LinkedIn, uh, you have quite an extensive experience. And what did you, like, wh why did you decide to go into creative field? How did you start uh, your, like, creative uh, work uh, experience path? I would call it like that, maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe we can, yeah, dive in into that. Yeah, sure. So I guess the I, I sort of uh, grew up in a small country town. I won't go all the way back, but yeah. um, just to say that where I sort of grew up there, you know, the schools that I went to, there was no sort of real opportunity to do anything different or kind of do anything creative really. So, and I didn't like school at all. So I sort of um, dipped out of school at around 15, which I think about that now and it just feels like it's it was in, in, incredibly young. Um, so I kind of ended up working in TV. I kicked around for a bit, worked in TV from about 17 years old and never really left. I mean, I kind of did sort of um, various jobs that were entertainment industry related, but I always came back to broadcast really. And where I worked was kind of um, one of the big broadcasters in Australia. And at the time we sort of got the opportunity to kind of work in different parts of the business to sort of, you know, I guess get a bit of a, a taste for it all. and. I ended up working in the newsroom, which was pretty interesting for me for, for a period of time because um, I figured out pretty quickly I wasn't a live kind of production type of person. So every night um, at 6 p.m. when we were just about to go to the, to the live bulletin, I was the Chiron operator. So I was kind of, you know, doing all the Chiron, all the supers and, um, you know, I just get increased anxiety and just couldn't bear it. And so I um, I sort of went from there, that live experience to um, a promo world where I figured out that you had the opportunity to write scripts and rewrite scripts and do design and do beautiful graphics and, you know, create, you know, fantastic edits on audio and, and you know, just polishing um, work sort of really became my love and, and I never went back to a live situation um, and always sort of stayed in that post-production kind of design. So so that's kind of, yeah, what I love the most. Um, and obviously that's shifted over the years too, right? Because now we, you know, especially in social, you're sending out stuff really quickly without that polish. So you have to sort of sometimes relinquish that sort of desire to kind of keep going back and, you know, making things um, look better and better. So it's interesting. Yeah, I do understand you when you speak about being on live. Um, in live productions, it's just nerve-wracking. And I completely understand how you made the decision to go into uh, the things that are, that are um, that you can plan, actually. <laughs> 
and not yeah. and don't have to react here and there on the spot. Um, what we wanted to talk to you about as well was we know that you are a very creative person, both at work and outside of work. Um, and you have a, do you call it a hobby or is it like proper um, another part of your life that's very serious and sort of work? Um, I don't really call it a hobby because, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've always been creative outside of my work. Um, and I think, you know, in senior leadership as well, particularly if you're, if you're working in creative as a senior leader, you know, you're sometimes not being creative all the time. So for me, that kind of um, led me down the path of actually exploring creativity outside of work as well as the day job. So I'm obviously surrounded by creative all the time and thinking about it all the time, reviewing it all the time and, you know, working on strategy and planning and all those sorts of things. But, you know, I think one of the big differences from being a sort of a, a senior creative to being a creative director or an executive creative director or senior leader in creativity is that you have to kind of, um, you know, I guess relinquish some of that creativity um, it's not as hands-on as it used to be, you know, when I mm, first started. What do you do? What? How does your day look like? The day really is is very much about dealing with, you know, the promo team, dealing with a lot of external production, you know, like all the producers, often talent. If we're shooting with talent, we deal with talent a lot. Um, we work to marketing as well. So we, we have a fairly sort of strong um, you know, relationship with our marketing cohort, mm -hmm. um, but also sort of, you know, working with the design team. And then at any mm -hmm. any time we could have a very big project on like we've got at the moment, which is looking at our news brand, for example, and, you know, um, you know we're, we're working on a, a news brand campaign to roll out early next year. So that's about sort of strategy. It's being, it, that's about working with our um, audience data and insights team and sort of working out, um, you know, the problems we have to solve for, and how we're going to do that. So it's strategic, it's creative, mm -hmm. it's it's very much about liaison, it's, you know, stakeholder management. So it's a bit of everything, really. When when you say stakeholder management, what does it mean in actual real life? Is it talking, emailing? What's, what is the actual, can you just describe the process of your day-to-day -day work? Because we're talking about how when you're an executive, when you're managing even creative things, it's not very, it can become not very creative, but kind of become uh, just managing the process and making that everybody's done their job and just being a nag sometimes. And, you know, just, just doing the, a lot of adulting, <laughs> that's not very <laughs> creative. Um, can you describe that? How does the executive role, what, what, what is your actual work? Like, what do you actually do in the day? A lot of emails. Uh, <laughs> um, well, it, I mean, again, it depends on the project. If we're about to shoot a large campaign or we're about to shoot a piece of key art photography, for example, um, for a new TV show that we've got coming up, um, you know, you don't want to show up on shoot day and have talent who don't know what's going to happen or, or are not comfortable with the concept. So you always want to get to that point knowing that your talent's on board, that your photographer's briefed, you know. Um, so, so that's a lot of sort of pre-production uh, work. But, but more broadly, I think, you know, going back to the difference between, say, a senior, um, you know, creative 
producer, say, you know, promo producer, for example, versus what I do, you know, I think, I think about it in the, in the, in the context of, you know, a senior creator might be thinking about their 30 second spot and making that spot the best spot they can make or their static image if they're a designer or whatever it is, their piece of animation, radio spot, et cetera. My role really is to sort of figure out how that fits into the bigger picture and really understand the audience. Because we sit across quite a few brands when we're doing work at the ABC, um, it's really understanding the audience and the nuance and the tone of voice of each of those brands and ensuring that the work that we create kind of sits very, very comfortably in that world. So, you know, it, it's, I always think about um, the senior leadership role as one where you've got to actually take your own personal aesthetic to some extent, take your own personal aesthetic off the table because if it were all about what I liked, then it would become very samey very quickly. Um, so actually one of the things that you have to do as a senior um, leader, leader and creative is actually take your own personal point of view, you know, away from the mix and really um, put a lens across it whereby you're sort of thinking about audience first, number one, and then brand, you know, what does our brand what does our brand value look like? You know, what are the, what are our brand values? What's our tone of voice? What's our look and feel? And just making sure that that's all consistent as well. So it, it, it's a slightly different role to play. And it's an interesting one, again, because most sort of senior creatives, you know, grew up in a world of actually producing creative work. So again, it's a really different mind shift when you move into that sort of senior leadership, um, ECD kind of world versus, a, a, you know, a normal and how do you cope with that with not really doing creative work in your um day-to-day -day life and just doing Look, it strategic I, again i think it is I, I think it is being surrounded by creativity so so i don't necessarily look at it as not doing creative work um and also i think about you know i, I try and also keep my hand in in terms of concepting work so if we've got a big problem to solve then I'll sort of participate in the the concepting of that it doesn't necessarily mean that my concept's always going to get up but I certainly participate in that process because I like to do that but I think it also just leads to you know my work outside of um, the day job um, and that's where I sort of fulfill my other sort of creative needs if you like so I really sort of um, don't necessarily look at my ABC job as being the only place that sort of fills that cup, I suppose, that creative that I, I so desire. So, yeah, it's sort of, um, it is about, for me anyway, being create, creative mm -hmm. everywhere in my life. What is it that you do outside of work? Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I kind of dabble in a whole stack of stuff. So I do sort of collage work, I do ceramics, um, you know, I, I do textile design and I paint. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call myself um, a master of any of those <laughs> um, particular, you know, um, things, but I, I kind of like to dabble in all of it. So, and, and especially sort of during lockdown, I guess that was the, the time that I really did kind of focus. Um, you know, we weren't going out in the evenings, we weren't going out on the weekends. So it just gave me an opportunity to really sort of, I suppose, practice my craft and, and practice my art. And that's kind of, um, you know, it's been a great thing for me because it, it gives you that um, different perspective, makes you think differently, makes you think about work differently as well right so it's um yeah it's just been a bit of a lifesaver for me 
Well, I've, I've, I looked at your Instagram that is devoted to your creative work, your art and your ceramics. And I see that it's uh, the Instagram is really kind of well put together. It looks like a proper social media, you know, not a hobby <laughs> page. It's like it's curated. It's it looks lovely. It looks like a page of a small business, you know, if, if you know what I mean, like on online. Uh, and you go to the markets and uh, sell your work and all of that. Um, how big of a part of your life is this? I mean, it's definitely a little tiny business. Would you describe it describe it like this, or how would you describe the the essence of your? I think it's interesting because as a, as a creative person. Um, and I, I consider myself to be a loudmouth introvert, by the way. So I, 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 <laughs> I um, you know, it, it's interesting putting your own work out into the market. I mean, I've, I've got a lot more confidence putting work like a large campaign, a three sixty degree campaign that we've, you know, we've created for one of our brands. That that's a far more comfortable position for me to take than putting my own creative work into the market. But I think as, as creative people, even though I am, as I said, a loudmouth introvert, at the heart, we want people to see that the work, we want people to see the work we create, you know, nobody creates work to kind of sit in the cupboard, right? So, you know, I guess for me, it's some kind of weird validation if I can kind of get it out into market and have people, you know, want to, you know, the markets, going to a market, like a handmade market and putting myself out there, um, is a very sort of, you know, taking myself out of my comfort zone moment because you get real life feedback from human beings who are standing there going, you know, I actually don't really like this or I like that. And it's like, you know, ouch, 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 you know, it's like really, um, you know, you got to roll with the punches, but it's actually, it's great to have that, that real time feedback on your work, which we don't get necessarily when we work in television, you know, um, so, so I guess I enjoy that. I guess I enjoy that. But I'm always sort of um, wanting to get better at my art practice. So, this this Sunday, I'm I understand completely what you're talking about. This Sunday, uh, past Sunday, I went to a car boot sale, which is not the same as the art market, obviously. But uh, we were trying to uh, get rid of the toys and books and some clothes um, of my daughter who is growing up. Um, so it was my first time at the car boot sale, and I it's such a different completely different atmosphere from what we are used to working in the offices and you know when your job is like laptop and you just look at the screen all the time and there you have to be on your feet you have to be talking to people you have to rearrange yeah. your stuff all the time. it's very physical as well like manhandling your your pieces and putting them in the car out of the car bargaining and um all of that um i mean and I imagine <laughs> it's a very different, it's kind of physically, it's a completely opposite thing to being a big boss at work. It sure is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I'm carting stuff and setting up things and putting walls up <laughs> and putting paintings up. So it's completely, you know, it is a completely different, different thing. Have you ever met your clients or colleagues or co-workers at the market? Do they come to see you? So um, I don't necessarily market 
the fact that I'm going to be there um, to to my team. <laughs> but having said that, some of my lovely design team do pop by and say hi and bring me a coffee, which is really super sweet. And, um, you know, the, yeah, I very much appreciate that, yeah. Because, you know, if nothing else, you need a toilet stop. So it's great. It's like, can you stand there while I run off and go to the bathroom? But, um, no, it, it's nice to have that support, most definitely. Yeah, speaking about carving out time for this, again, um, looking at how you, you're organizing this part of your life, it feels very organized, which is which is obvious. You are good at <laughs> keeping track of things and uh, um, producing projects. Um, but actually, doesn't it feel like a, another mental load when you have to manage this, you have to register for the market, you have to, you know, make sure you've got all the stuff, this, that, you know, it's another thing to organize and have on your mind and have a checklist and all of that. Sure is, yeah, it really is. Um, but again, I, I guess as, as, and I'm going to call myself an artist here and, and I stumble over that all the time, but as an artist, I think that you, there, there are very few places you can put your work out there. And, you know, I think um, a lot of people who make art would, would sort of, um, you know, agree with me that it, if you want to get your work out there in any way, you've got to work really, really hard to do that. And so, so that was just a sort of a decision I made to, to, yeah, to, to work hard to get my art out there. What I'm sensing here that it's another work and for a lot as you said for a lot of for lots of creative people you have to actually hustle to yeah you do for, you have to hustle how do you feel about having a full-on full-time job and making creating this situation for yourself when you have to hustle outside of work well i mean i guess putting it into perspective um you know i i sort of signed up for two design markets which are handmade and very ethical and all Australian and all that sort of stuff and I've only sort of very been very selective and I've only signed up for two a year um, because it takes me a long time to paint you know obviously in between times um, and, I, and I only did two very specifically because it is such an enormous amount of work um, so yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to do with my art practice is actually consider it to be a bit of a meditative process. I want it to be a relaxing process. I want to actually enjoy the process of getting better as an artist versus thinking about it in terms of a, a commercial business. So that's really not the the um, the driving force for me. I'm not thinking about this in terms of making money. I'm thinking about it in terms of doing what I really love doing, getting better at it, hopefully. And then if someone buys it, then, you know, great, that's fantastic. If they don't, it's not really going to worry me too much. So that's kind of the perspective that I've put across mm. it. How do you make time for it? Like, could you, could, can we talk like calendar? Well, how do you find <laughs> the pockets of time for this? So, so I, I suppose just that the way that I sort of operate um, is that I, I don't like to sort of be uh, not doing things. So I'm, I'm always doing things. And, you know, if I'm comfortable, I'm pretty uncomfortable. So I, I sort of feel like I'm always active. And you can imagine how much fun I am going on vacation with. But um, it, I'm not necessarily saying that's a good thing, but I'm saying that I, I like to always be doing something. 
And, um, you know, for me, I'm at a different life stage. So my children are teenagers. So, you know, the less time that they spend with their parents, the better for them that it is. So I don't have that kind of, you know, intense sort of young kid kind of phase and stage. So I suppose I just, you know, I, I really focus on my art practices on the weekend. I spend a lot of time doing it. Um, and yeah, that's, I never do it in nine to five. I never do it during the day at work. Um, I think the, the thing for me, and it's not because I, it's not because, um, you know, my boss wouldn't like it or anything like that. It's more about the pressure I put on myself again. So it's kind of, you know, I, if I were not doing a fantastic job, if I were not doing the best possible job that I could do for the ABC, I would have a problem with that. So for me, it's about making sure that I'm kind of committed to um, the ABC and the work that I have to do there. It's a really big job and I want to be committed and I love the job. Um, and then, you know, I just find time to do something that I also love doing, which is being being an artist. Um, I wanted to ask you, like going back a little bit. So when you started this uh, creative, you know, project of yours outside of work, did you notice in perspective how it changed your um, way of working at your main job, at your full-time job? So how did it affect you in a good way? Or maybe, I don't know, you were like, I I'm sure it's only in a good way. But yeah, how did it affect you uh, in like the way you pursue things, you pursue your creative projects on your full-time job? So I, I guess um, I've always done creativity outside of work. Um, so it's not a, it's not necessarily a new thing for me. I guess the thing for me though, is making sure that um, the team that uh, work at ABC made also have that space if they want to have that space for creativity. And that's something that I really firmly believe in. I believe that creativity can change the world and creativity is a prerequisite for innovation. So how can I bring that thinking into sort of, you know, the workplace really? And that's about kind of um, making sure that people, you know, have the space, number one, but also talk about it. And I really want, you know, I, I wish that people would celebrate creativity more. Um, and I wish they'd talk about it more and I wish they'd value it more. So for me, when, when it comes to running creative teams, I just want to make sure that that's something that everyone feels comfortable doing, exploring creativity outside of the workplace if they want to and also talking about it inside of the workplace so that's you know that's something that that we encourage you know very much and it's it's a real i suppose eye-opening experience to hear about people's creativity outside of work sometimes it's it can be directly related you know in terms of okay well i also illustrate and that's fantastic because we can bring those skills into you know the work that you're doing at the abc but sometimes it's completely not related you know and it's just fantastic to hear about what people are doing because for me it's kind of that showing that there's a willingness to try something and to take risks and to iterate and to try again and they're all really fantastic personal attributes to have within a creative team as well and and the other thing it, you know when when we're interviewing or we're looking for new designers in particular i think it's also really important to have a look at you know not only how they answer a brief but also how they, you know, what they do outside, um, you know, show me something that you've done that's your own project because it just kind of, again, gives you a bit bit more insight into the person 
Um, and I think that's really important, particularly if you if you're looking out for culture within a team. When when you're talking about your own team and people do this creative things, what is the most unexpected um, hobby mm -hmm. or? So we, um, you know, we do stand-ups like most people do stand-ups and we sort of um, every fortnight someone kind of will talk about their creative passion or hobby outside of the workplace. Um, and it, and it's been it's been really eye-opening. So one of our senior, uh, senior audio creatives is a cheese aficionado, so he makes his own cheese. So he kind of took us on a bit of a tour of his kind of basement where he's got all these different cheeses that are aging and and everyone just thought it was in incredibly fascinating as a story and we had no idea um one of my senior motion designers uh plays the harp and so she kind of spoke about her uh journey in kind of buying her own harp and um, <laughs> another one is a, you know plays the bagpipes so he kind of got in got up and, and at our stand up and um, played our brand theme song um, on the bag so you know i mean it's really um it's just it's it's lots of fun actually just to hear about what everyone's doing outside of work can you share any tips uh like i'm sure um creative leaders uh are listening to us right now can you share any tips how do you encourage your team to stay creative outside of work well, there are certain things that we do inside of work as well. So, you know, if our um, motion design people want to do explore 3D, for example, because we use After Effects, we're very 2D based, um, you know, all of our brand packages and style guides are sort of 2D. So some of the design team, some of the motion design team wanted to to explore 3D. So what we're doing there is we're just carving out some, some play time, I guess, in their schedules to ensure that they're kind of practicing uh, Cinema 4D, which is the software package that they're using, making sure that they're kind of getting some time to do that. Um, and, and that's not necessarily something they're going to use in, on an everyday basis at work, but it's something that they, they really want to do. Um, so, so inside work, we can kind of carve out the time. Outside work, it's more about um, sharing what they do. Any creative um, side projects, did they for example, influence, I mean, from your team, did they influence any campaigns that you produce at ABC? Maybe like, I don't know, any any findings from their creative side projects or something? Maybe we can explore that. We haven't got a campaign with bagpipes or the harp or anything like that. <laughs> not yet, not yet. So, Maybe in the so future. Guess, maybe in the future. I guess my response to that is, that, you know, I don't necessarily want to put that pressure on creatives either. You know, I don't want them to think, oh, you know, they're, they're kind of, um, you know, encouraging us to explore creativity outside the workplace so that we can use it inside the workplace. It's not really about that. It's just about kind of thinking about creativity differently. And um, I think that's that's good for everyone, right? It's good for the soul and it's good for human beings. So um, we don't necessarily want people to take from that, that, that I have to try and bring it into the workplace as well. Uh, previously, you mentioned that for creatives, uh validation means a lot so that you put out your work and you basically get judged so do you think that all the awards the festivals the creative festivals that are out there are they like the necessary part of the creative process are they like the must do for anyone that is in the creative field or is it more you know like if you want to you can do that but it's you know I think for me um I understand that being validated by 
other creatives is really important for me. So what can you say about that? Um, you know, when we give our team opportunities to enter their work, um, I really want them to want to enter their work because I know then that they're very, you know, committed to it and proud of that work. So again, I think, you know, going back to that earlier conversation, I think as creatives, we all want our work to be seen and recognised and if it's peer reviewed, then that's fantastic as well. So yeah, I think it is important, but it's not the be all and end all and quite often work that um, you would enter into a campaign may not be necessarily the most effective campaign that you can run on your own platforms, if you know what I mean. So yeah, sometimes they're two different things. The Australian Public Broadcaster is paid for by the Australian taxpayers. So when it comes to our budgets, there's a lot of scrutiny across that, you know, the, the, the work that we do and the spends that we have and all that sort of stuff. And and rightly so. Um, so we're pretty diligent in terms of how we, uh, you know, spend our money and create our work. And sometimes we don't have that opportunity to test and learn or we don't have that opportunity to, you know, um, get things wrong terribly much because there's a lot of scrutiny on the budget, you know. Um, so some of the work that we do um, may not be work that we're not an advertising agency, you know what I mean? So we, we've got a job to do and it's a really big one and it's to feed our, our brands and our platforms. And I would say there's probably only once a year, maybe twice a year, where we get an opportunity to do something really, really special that we want to sort of enter into awards shows. But generally speaking, day to day, I think the work that we do is absolutely beautiful and I stand behind it, but it's not necessarily going to be at a global level, if you know what I mean, because we just don't have that kind of um, resource, I suppose, or budget at the ABC. So, sure. um, you know, our our role as, as, as creative leaders really is to make sure that we're always aiming for as high as we can creatively with the resources and the, you know, the budgets that we have. Um, I wanted to ask you um, a question, uh, just like from my personal experience. So um, when you are working for one brand, how to stay creative within this one brand? So what I mean is like, for example, as you mentioned, if you're an advertising agency, you have different briefs coming from different brands and it's always a new approach. It's always like, you know, you do research and you approach this project differently. But when you work in one brand, how to stay, you know, creatively fulfilled of, you know, approaching things differently each, each and every time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess if you approach a brief, you know, you get a creative brief and you approach it with the point of view that you're going to try and do something completely different, I think that's probably not necessarily the way to approach creative because it's very hard to find unique territory. It's really, really hard to find something that someone else in the world hasn't done, right? So, you know, it, I think it's very much about, you know, understanding the culture of the day and, you know, creating something that's going to sit really comfortably within that culture or, or not necessarily comfortably, creating something that's going to disrupt. So, you know, for me, that's the focus is really how you can not necessarily create something brand new, because I think if you're actually striving for that, it's going to be a really hard thing to find. But how can you kind of remix, rework, repackage, 
repurpose to come up with something that's really going to make an impact to the hearts and minds of audiences. And that's the challenge, right? Because culture never stops changing. So, you know, to your point about working on one brand, that gives you an opportunity to really kind of change what you do all the time, just to reach the culture that's always changing. So I don't feel like there's ever in this um, world that we work in, I don't feel like there's ever an opportunity to not be changing. It's constant changing, right? So um, there's no getting bored with that, really. Yeah, I wanted to add that I personally needed to hear that because for me as a creative, I always put so much pressure on myself, like thinking, okay, each brief, I have to approach it and it has to be something completely new. So for me to hear what you said is like, you know, just to explore it, you know, not putting so much pressure on myself, like, honestly, thank you for that. But yeah, Julia <laughs> wanted to say something. Well, I thought it was a good moment to uh, talk about the projects you were uh, proud about. Of um, so, you could you tell us about uh, two projects that you are proud of um, or find really interesting from your from your work? So, coming off the back of COVID, we hadn't really shot for um, a few years, and um, you know the ABC was pretty conservative about that you know, rightly so, but um, coming out of COVID, it's also coincided with our 90th year of broadcasting. So we wanted to do something really special around the 90th year of broadcasting. And we came up with a fairly ambitious plan at the time because it could have been a COVID super spreading event, let's be honest, but we came up with the idea of um, bringing groups of 90 people together from around the country to perform to our brand song, which is called I Am Australian. Our brand song's been on air for about four years now, but if, you're, if you are Australian, you would have grown up with this music. People love it. It's kind of the unofficial national anthem of this country. So um, so everyone knows this piece of music. So we did kind of, um, we shot it all around the country. We brought teams of people together. And at the heart of the campaign, it was really about capturing people doing what they love to do, which is connecting with each other. And that's kind of what the ABC's for. We're there to connect all Australians. So we shot in Central Australia with the um, Aboriginal Women's Choir, and that was really special. That was It was just a beautiful moment. Um, it was uh, the Aboriginal Women's Choir singing in Pitjantjatjara language, which, which is their own language. Um, so it was a very um, heartwarming, special, tear-jerking kind of um, shoot day that day. We also shot 90 drummers coming together on a rooftop in Brisbane, which was just, you know, fantastic, stunning, very noisy. 90 school kids and then we shot with the um, amazing Sydney Dance Company um, who also performed to our brand theme uh, song. So that all came together into one sort of um, brand film that's about 90 seconds long and then we sort of separated it into um, individual kind of spots that ran on social and on air and radio etc. So that was a that was a pretty proud moment. It was a beautiful um, piece of work. It went on to win some lovely awards, in, including um, New York Festival's uh, Gold Awards. Uh, so we're pretty stoked with that that campaign. Do you pay people when you offer them to take part in this project, or is it like voluntary thing? When so that I guess that that made this campaign even more special because we didn't pay anyone to be involved in the campaign. So we put a call out out and um, people wanted to take part in it. Um, you know, there's a lot of love for the ABC and we wanted to really, you know, harness that and also 
as I say, bring people together. And that's what it was was about. And it just, it was a real feel good kind of um, campaign that I'd love to sort of share with you. Again, if you don't know the song, you, you may not, it may not have the same impact, but um, having said that, it, it, you know, like I said, it just won gold at, at New York festivals. So I was really stoked that it also, um, you know, made the global judges feel something as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a campaign we're pretty proud of. We're going to share really it great. in the yeah. description, yeah, so that everyone can see. I remember this tune. I lived in Australia for a little bit, so I can oh, relate to that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but I want to see this campaign. I haven't seen it, so I think I will like. For I'll me, it's also it going to be a bit personal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, um, where did you live? Where did you live in Australia, by the way? Adelaide, uh, South oh, Australia. Oh my god! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So, yeah, I lived there for nearly a year um, oh, when okay. I was seven years old. So oh, I, I right. don't really remember like that much, but I did study in school. So for a year, uh, which was really, really nice. <laughs> nice time. And so, I yeah, do Australia, remember that. Austra like, <laughs> it's a long way. <laughs> Australia has a special part in my heart, so. Yeah, this yeah, I can say for well, sure. That was enough uh, enough time to learn the ABC music. <laughs> so the, the second campaign that was um, pretty different to the um, ABC's 90th work um, is a campaign with puppets. So iView is our online streaming service. And if you look at the category of streaming services around the world, there's a lot of people doing a lot of the same stuff. And we really wanted to sort of present iView as something very, very different. And um, we come up with the tagline, don't be surprised if you're surprised. Um, there's a lot of breadth and depth of content on the platform and that's really what that was speaking to. And with a tagline like that, I guess the, the sense was, okay, well, we, we have to do something that's surprising. And so we created puppets. We created four different characters. We wrote their backstories. We gave them all like, um, you know, fascinating kind of worlds i suppose and um each one of them kind of came to life for example was one of us who was a um the barrister um and he kept losing his jaw every time something funny happened on abc iview so his jaw <laughs> jaw would literally drop off which was super cute and gloria who um is just divine and she's got lots and lots of hair and she's a, she's she's a bit crazy um, she used to sneak out of the office every day and kind of watch um, David At Attenborough, um, you know, uh, factual content. Um, and one particular day she was sitting on a park bench and um, there's real life people beside her and the animals on the David Attenborough uh, documentary were mating. So that was kind of causing a lot of, um, you know, very uncomfortable moments for the people around Gloria. So it's a, <laughs> it's a fun campaign. And again, we, we had... Um, a lot of um, you know industry accolades with that campaign and won ourselves some awards with it. So um, it's beautiful work. We did it in house. Um, again, it was our first time of ever working with puppets. So uh, you know, lots for us to learn um, in that. What world, are the challenges but... of working with puppets, please? <laughs> um, so we um, we kind of had to try and get more characters out of. The, the the same puppets so we really only had two puppets but we had five characters in the end so it was kind of um dressing them different our puppeteer was just fantastic she was she was just you know brilliant at 
doing that. We spent a lot of time thinking about how we were going to design the puppets. And one of our senior motion designers um, uh, pretty much designed them, which was, you know, fantastic again for um, a creative person at the ABC who's never done that kind of work before. So it's a lot of research, a lot of thinking about it, um, a lot of working with the puppeteer who hand sewed everything. She also made the puppets as well as, you know, uh, worked with the puppets. So um, we, we just love that campaign. And Vinny and Arj and Lynn and um, Gloria, they're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's the TV I would like, I would love to have when I was younger. You know, for me, I would just wanted to add um, that, Growing up, um, so I think Julia can relate here as well. So we both grew up in Russia. And uh, for us, TV wasn't that creative. You know, it was mostly about the news or it was mostly about, you know, talk shows which were not that creative. So for me to see that uh, creativity is coming to what for me used to be like a conservative part of the industry as the TV, it's it's amazing. So I don't know maybe you can tell from your experience like was abc always that creative i mean in the approach of their campaigns in their like um i don't know uh advertising their brand so if you could like mention that a little bit uh i think this would be really interesting i think probably the puppets was was um a really interesting move for the ABC. It was a pretty bold move to to head in that direction again because no one else um, was doing that sort of thing, particularly for their, you know, for their um, bod services. So, I think a lot of people at the ABC were sort of saying, "Well, where's my content? Why haven't you kind of put my content front and center?" You know, and that's an interesting kind of um, that's interesting feedback for us to to hear. We did try and integrate contact, content into um, our puppets' worlds, of course, but essentially they became the heroes of the story, not the content. And previously we'd always kind of done it the other way around. It's always about the content being hero. So that was a difficult thing for some of our content makers to take on board. They, they were sort of not necessarily loving um, the puppets quite as much as we loved the puppets, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's the... That's the um, that's the rub really, isn't it? When you do something different is that not everyone's going to love it and you just have to sort of stand behind it and go for it and feel confident about it. Um, but I, the other thing I'd say about our campaigns is that, you know, it's an interesting time with um, digital, you know, um, acceleration, I guess. You know, we're still very much in the world as the BBC would be in the same world, right, where you've got to sort of finish, you've got to keep feeding linear brands television brands yet we've got this other kind of thing going on over here which is a really sort of you know massive acceleration in our digital brands be it bod or our listen brand which is our you know audio streaming service or our online brands where people are consuming news or our apps for example so we're going to feed that world as well as the sort of more traditional sort of linear space over here the linear space is very much older in terms of the audience so if you do anything that's sort of um I suppose too bold um you don't always get great audience feedback so you know you can be bolder you can have a different slightly different tone of voiceover in in the digital kind of world but in the linear world you've still got to sort of you know service a fairly different kind of audience need really so to a large extent we're sort of riding two horses at the moment which is pretty interesting really 
Um, and again, that kind of creates a bit of um, interesting tension within the business too, because you don't want to sort of, you know, upset people over here, but you certainly want to speak to people over here because that's, that's our growth opportunity, right? You know? Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting position. From what you're saying, it feels like everything is moving in the direction of linear world ceasing to exist at some point. Um, look, I mean, I think it's, we, we all watch very closely what's going on around the world, right? And I think it, and I, and I can't speak to this because it's not my brand. I have nothing to do with it. But I did notice that the BBC obviously transitioned, you know, BBC Three from linear to digital. And now they've gone back again to linear in some, to some extent. Um, so I think, and again, I'm not necessarily speaking on behalf of the BBC here, but I think you've got to be careful how fast you move into a digital space um you know and and you've got to just yeah yeah you've got to keep you've got to recognize and and bring your linear audience with you to that digital space so it's a it's it's a transition um as opposed to a cutting one off to feed the other so it's yeah it's it's a really interesting uh space and and you know companies like the new york times have done it incredibly well they've gone from a traditional sort of um news provider which you know essentially was a newspaper to um, an incredible digital presence and they've done that beautifully and their campaigns are absolutely stunning um and you know they've made it all about their audiences in terms of what their audiences are consuming and how they can speak to those audiences as they're consuming you know their content online it's a, it's it's beautiful work if you haven't seen it and they also they, <clears throat> sorry uh they also bought uh wordle uh new york times if if anyone uh, here smart. can relate to wordle <laughs> doing it every day <laughs> it was such a big trend i would say like maybe um several months ago but um um from 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 what you were saying so can you share any tips on how to and is it possible to influence this more like you know your constant audience like this audience that is used to uh, the brand of the ABC how to educate them and try to move them into this you know more bolder moves of your creativity and move them more into the digitized world like do you have any tips on how you defend your ideas to like you know like uh, uh, stakeholders and yeah just to try you know to experiment in this field I think there's a real appetite at the ABC to move, you know, into digital, you know, as quickly as we can. So um, I don't think there's necessarily pushback. Um, like I say, you know, if, you, if you're not featuring the content, that's where people get a little bit nervous. If you're doing something highly conceptual, people get a little bit nervous about that. Um, but I don't think, our, you know, in, in digital, I think that's what people are craving at the same time. So, again, you know, we were talking about stakeholder management before, and it is very much about sort of trying to, to make people feel very comfortable about the concepts that you're putting forward um, and why, you know. Um, so if you're doing an, what we call an awareness campaign where you, you're purely sort of building awareness for your platform or your brand, then I think you can actually be a little bit more conceptual in how you approach that. But if you're trying to sort of literally get people to watch a, a TV show, you're less likely to put a conceptual sort of spin on that. You're more likely to kind of just push the TV show right at the end of the day. Yeah, um, yeah. So, 
you know, there's this really sort of old, old kind of way of thinking, um, you know, when as from an old promo producer's way of thinking anyway, the more sort of, I suppose, bells and whistles that you put across your, your marketing of a, of a TV show, probably the less good that TV show is, right? <laughs> and I'm not talking about this in terms of um, spending a lot of money on a campaign. I'm talking about this in terms of not showing the content, right? If you're not showing mm. the content, you're filling up the frames with lots of graphics and, you know, I don't know, sound effects and stuff, chances are the show's not as great as you'd want it to be. So if you've got a great piece of content, you want to hero that content if you're, show, you know, if you're selling TV shows. So it's about sort of, uh, again, figuring out where you, you've got this opportunity to do something a bit different and, you know, taking those opportunities versus kind of putting that thinking across everything. Sure, sure. And, um, yeah. yeah, just for me, uh, a quick question. Um, do you, through, like, being, like, visiting this markets, for example, being, like, creative outside of work, do you understand uh, do, or do you do anything additional to understand your audience? For example, we as creatives, we are in a certain bubble. Like we read pretty much like similar stuff. We watch films and series and like we see each other on like social media. But how do you what and what do you do uh, to understand your broader audience? The one that like that watch ABC every day, for example. Is there anything you do additionally? So I work in um, I work into the marketing team, and it's a pretty large team of people. ABC made the creative team. We're about fifty five people um, all around the country, and we have a very large audience data and insights team who do a, just a really brilliant job of understanding our audiences and um, really sort of digging deep into what they you know the psychographics, the eth ethnographics, all of it so that we can better understand that in the briefs that we get. So the briefs come from the marketing team. So marketing team work really, really closely with the insights, the data and insights team, and combine that, that, that forms the brief that then comes into the creative team. And that's when we have a really good picture of the job that we have to do. And then we can start thinking about how best to do that job, whether it be something conceptual, whether it be something using content, you know, whatever it is, right, to, to kind of speak to that audience. So it's, it's really, again, it comes back to audience and understanding who you're speaking to. Um, and we, and we get incredible data and insights from our team. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. To have it because yeah, sometimes when you have a smaller team, you basically have to go, you know, like in the field and, you know, just to gather some insights yourself. And sometimes this assumptions may not be completely right. So yeah, to have a team that can back, uh, back up your, um, assumptions is, it's really good. And, um, yeah, I wanted to, um, move closely to our final, uh, question is a recommendation from you. So. Diana, if you could, in any order, in any particular order, one book, one film, and one ad campaign that you can recommend to our listeners. So um, a book I was going to re recommend is, um, it's it's just a little book. It's called How to Be an Artist by um, Jerry Saltz, who is the Pulitzer Prize winning um, art critic for the New York Magazine, um, amongst other things. Um, 
And that book was sent to me by uh, a friend of mine who is an artist, and she sent it to me when I was feeling a bit wobbly about calling myself an artist. So um, I guess the book is just one of those, you know, small ones that you can dip in and out of as you need to. But he sort of speaks about this notion that that creating your own art can be kind of terrifying and humiliating. And he kind of draws this parallel that maybe it's even a little bit like getting naked in front of someone for the first time, which I thought was, um, which was, which, which was interesting because sometimes it does feel like that. It's so awkward, you know, kind of putting your own kind of work to the market. But he also talks a lot about kind of um, just enjoying the, the experience and, and really not overthinking it. So, you know, if you're ever terrified about kind of doing your own artwork, I think I really recommend that book. It's just so, um, so good to kind of dip in and out of it. He also sort of says, look, if you can I be an artist if I work full time? You know, I've got this big job. You know, can I really be an artist or can I be an artist if I'm a parent or, you know, if I'm scared? And, and of course, the answer to that is yes, you can, you know. So I think there's lots of um, great messages for, for people who are, you know, wanting to do something um, outside the nine to five job. Um, in terms of films, I'm probably going to go a little bit off brief here and talk about a TV series, if that's okay. And um, I've recently um, binged the Andy Warhol Diaries, which was um, executively produced by the fabulous Ryan Murphy. Um, I think that he got shot, I think Warhol got shot in about 1968 or something. And following that attempted assassination, he started to um, record his life and document his life in these diaries. And um, they've brought it to life in the most sort of stunning, I think it's six part um, documentary. And um, throughout the, the documentary, they've used um, Warhol's voice, which is kind of, you know, um, you know morphed voice. It's AI software called uh, Resemble. Um, that they've used to sort of recreate his voice. But it's an absolutely beautiful story and it's, you know, the production values are just immaculate. Um, and he obviously photographed and filmed and documented his entire life. So there's just this richness to it and this array of um, beautiful archival footage just seamlessly kind of woven throughout the whole um, series. It's it's heartbreaking. Um, there's this constant tension throughout uh, around his sexuality and his religion and his self-image, which, you know, he really, he really did hate himself, you know, and it, it's really heartbreaking, provocative and, and beautiful. Um, so, yeah, you won't be able to stop watching it. I don't think I loved it. <laughs> That's a great um, one. Yeah, it's beautiful. In terms of ad campaigns, um, you know, we, we're so we've got so much to choose from, right? Coming off the back of Khan, um, and also you know, judging the award awards, which is sort of you know Australia's most prestigious awards. Awards. So there's there's just so many beautiful campaigns, but I've I've picked one. Um, it's called um, Fit Chicks, C H I X S. Um, there was a problem to solve. I'll start with the problem to solve, um, which was around sort of you know confusion when you're buying eggs. So you go into the supermarket, you're trying to do the right thing. You get bombarded with all of these kind of labels, you know, free range, open range, cage free, whatever, whatever, not really understanding any of them. Um, and actually, there's still a lot of really dodgy kind of farming practices going on where people are kind of cramming, you know, um, all these chickens into a really small space and calling it free range. So anyway, a company called Honest Eggs um, ended up crafting. I just thought this is absolutely genius. They ended up kind of producing a, a, a Fitbit 
which they ended up attaching to chickens. And they spent a lot of time making sure that it was, you know, it was fine for the chickens, et cetera. Um, and the Fitbit actually measured their steps, their daily steps, but it also did a GPS tracking <laughs> of the chickens. And so what they ended up doing with all that data that they were collecting is they were able to actually get their average step count per day and they printed that on each of the eggs. So, you know, um, 21,000 steps were taken today. And it kind of signaled that these chickens, of course, have got all this space and places that they can roam. So um, it's it's just such an ingenious idea. It's a really beautiful campaign. It extended through to social, so you could follow your own favorite chook around. So, you know, Henrietta did 3.5 Ks today, you know, um, and it ran on, <laughs> which is just gorgeous. And then it ran on um, outdoor as kind of this large, sort of egg with the amount of step counts and, um, you know, with the tagline, changing the egg industry one step at a time. So it, it was just a beautiful campaign. And I really hope that it does. Um, I hope it does well at the awards that I'm uh, judging. So they, they are my favourites at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. What? Sorry, what is the award you're, um, you're judging at the moment? I think we don't have it on on record anywhere in the in the podcast. It's the award awards. I'll send you. I'll send you some info on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will add everything in uh, the description. And uh, yeah, just a quick one. Um, I forgot to ask you uh, this question uh, in the beginning. So we usually do that with our guests. And uh, if you could, can you rate your creativity today from one to ten, and explain why? That's the question we ask our guests. And yeah, I, I totally forgot about it. So uh, if you could do it right like now, in the end of the uh, of the episode. <laughs> That's such a great question. And in fact, we ask that question when we're recruiting people. And interestingly, no one ever says 10. No one ever says 10. <laughs> Everyone says nine. I think there's just Being this. Humble. It's humble. It's human nature, right, that you can never be 10 out of 10. You can't be because, you know, that's just never going to happen. So I'm going to go with nine. I'm going to go with nine. <laughs> there you go. That's not very original, I know, because I've just, I've just told you that everyone says, everyone says nine and not 10. Um, you know, of course, there's always room for improvement, right? <laughs> what made yeah, you, you want to leave this room. like a nine? Yeah. You want to you give yourself that space mm. to get better. <laughs> yeah. What made you feel like a nine today? What made me feel like a nine today? Um, well, like, that's an interesting question too. I don't, I don't suppose we always feel like a nine, right? If we're not cracking something, if we've got a problem to solve and we can't crack it, you, you're certainly not ever kind of feeling like a nine if you're not getting it. So, and I think that's okay too. You know, I think you can't expect to be creative and on fire every single day, right? As a creative. So I think, you know, you bounce i think that's okay to bounce between i think if you're under five then you're probably in the wrong space but you, know, you can kind of keep it within that that five to ten range and know that some days you're going to be knocking it out of the ballpark and other days you're not then that's perfectly perfectly reasonable thank you so much diana for coming to our podcast it was a pleasure and yeah we're looking forward to see more uh campaigns from abc and we're going to be following them closely and we're going to add all the um all the campaigns and all the recommendations you mentioned in the description 
So, yeah, thank, thank you, you very Anastasia. much. Thank you, Anastasia. Thank you, Julia. Nice thank meeting you. Thank you, Diana. Nice yeah. Thanks thank for having you. me. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Uh, all the references from the episode you can find in the description box. And yeah, Julia, do you have anything to add? Yeah, please. Um, <laughs> I want to add that it's eight. <laughs> it was eight o'clock uh, in the morning in London when we were recording this. So um, don't judge. <laughs> and uh, have a wonderful week. And Anastasia, um, enjoy your lovely gay apartment in North, in North London. <laughs> I will for sure. Thank you, Julia. <laughs>